0: Hi everyone, Happy New Year! We are back after the holiday break, ready to explore another exciting topic of pharma manufacturing. Have you ever heard of a dry powder inhaler? This device delivers medication in the form of a dry powder directly to the lung and exactly where it needs to go
1: if in general, for any kind of treatment. If you can apply the drug directly where it needs to go to the affected tissues in the body, if that's where your target is, that's a really advantageous way to treat.
0: That is Kim Shepard, Londa's Associate Director and Principal Engineer, leading projects in the area of particle engineering for inhalation delivery. According to her, the advantages of inhale delivery are vast And not limited to better efficacy and lower toxicity, but they also include decreasing the price of treatments. I'm Martina Hestericová and this is A View On, a podcast brought to you by Lonza. In today's episode, we take a closer look at delivering dry powders to the lung, using dry-powder inhalers, also known as DPIs. We are all familiar with aerosol-based inhalers known as nebulizers, so the ones that treat asthma, for example. Dry-powder inhalers are also used to treat respiratory diseases, including asthma, bronchitis, and COPD, but they can also treat cancer or even diabetes. But instead of inhaling typical liquid droplets, using a dry powder inhaler means that the patient inhales dry, powdered aerosol. And this form of administration has been around for a long time. The first commercially available DPIs appeared already in the 70s. Together with Kim Shepard and Matt Ferguson, Lonza's head of respiratory drug delivery, we will discuss how these inhalers work and how we can manufacture powders with specific characteristics, such as size and density, that enable the very precise delivery of life-saving treatments. So, hi Kim, hi Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this episode with you. Yeah, me as well. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us come out and talk.
0: Matt, could you maybe summarize for us what are the current options of treating chronic pulmonary diseases in general?
2: Sure, yeah, uh, you know it, as you think about the different ways that you can deliver drugs to lung because um, that's the target area we're most focused on is you know there's nebulizers which you know have a longer dosing period and are more often used for children or early design of products than you have what you currently see in the market a lot now with meter dose inhalers and dry powder inhalers, both of which are, are well tolerated and things that are readily available in a number of different doses and have been around, you know, like the MDIs have been around for decades. Um, at this point. And then there's a few very, very limited oral applications for lung diseases. Beyond that, the best option is just you deliver to your lungs.
0: Apart from getting closer to where the problem is, what else is attractive about this form of delivery? Is it also effective, the stability of the medication or maybe limiting side
2: effects? Those are some of the things to think about. Mostly it's, you know, as you think about diseases like cancer, where you're essentially delivering a poison to your body, if you can limit the amount of drug that you're going to deliver and target the area of the lung, that's the most important and where the disease is, you can get close to eliminating the side effects that you'd see through systemic delivery, like if you were going to do an IV treatment. So that's one of the really attractive options around things like cancer. Then there's biologics, which is one we've been working on quite a bit, lately, and there's a lot of discussion out there in the industry. Some of these just aren't bioavailable at all without being able to deliver it topically to the lungs, avoiding your digestive system altogether. And the other thing to think about is just the cost of medications like that, the biologics being very expensive. It creates an opportunity for it to be more affordable for the patient Um, as opposed to doing it systemically across your entire body, where you have to do a very high dosing, you can dose a lower amount directly to the lung.
0: I also wonder if we are to manufacture something that is delivered locally, do you need to use or rely on any specific methods for the manufacturing of these types of products? Or can you just do this with any type of powder or liquid?
2: You know, you think about different uh, applications. Some of these you could definitely deliver by nebulizer, but then you start thinking about What is the supply chain going to look like? How complex is it going to be for us to make sure it's stable across the supply chain? Uh, A good example is and one that's a pretty hot topic right now is vaccines. When we had the COVID vaccine came out, its supply chain was minus 80. There are parts of the world where you absolutely don't have that supply chain in place. Um, How do you get that vaccine to location in third world countries um, where they don't have minus 80 freezers available? Or people can't travel and we need to bring the clinic to them. Um, Those are places where things like a dry powder inhaler really shine. We could go in particle engineering, make something that's shelf stable at room temperature. And it's much easier to get it to those regions of the world, to those patients that otherwise would be um, would have to go without.
0: Kim, do you want to add to that? Dry
1: powder inhaler stability is a really good point one of the other manufacturing points that's really key here is uh, you can provide something that's got good shelf stability while at the same time providing the right particle engineering to make sure that that drug is delivered exactly where it needs to go within the lung. The term we use to talk about particle engineering is the aerodynamic particle size. And you can kind of think of that as how the particle flies through the air, essentially, when you breathe it in through your lungs. And there's this kind of sweet spot between about half a micron and five microns in particle size of this aerodynamic diameter um, that makes sure that that material gets deposited at the right
0: spot in the lung. Why is it important to care about the size of the particles so much?
1: Because it turns out if you have particles that are too big, they actually just go straight to the back of your throat and get swallowed so they don't do their job. And if they're too small, they actually get inhaled and then exhaled back out of Which is kind of an amazing thing to think of it, going all the way into your deep lung and then doing a U-turn and coming right back out. But that's exactly what happens. So by using a dry powder inhaler manufacturing technology, such as uh, spray drying or milling, we're able to provide that shelf stability, that convenience to the patient of self-administration, as well as the right particle engineering to deliver it where it needs to go.
0: You touched upon a really interesting point. How did you call it? Aerodynamic particle size? That's right. So is the size the only thing that matters when it comes to controlling the depth of which the the particles can reach within the lung?
1: Yeah, the best way to think of aerodynamic particle size, it depends on a couple of different things, but it's not the same thing as like the size of a particle that you could measure with a ruler. That's the geometric particle size. So aerodynamic, how it flies, that's um, a combination of the density and the actual size and then the shape. Kind of think of if you took a flat piece of paper and you dropped it, it would float down slowly. But if you balled up that piece of paper, it would just fall straight down to the ground. So those are examples of differences in aerodynamic uh, behavior. So we need to make particles that fit that that size range, but we have a lot of different tools for how to do that, whether we're changing the density or whether we're changing the physical size or the shape or a combination of all three.
0: And do the attributes change depending on the product or are there some general rules that can be applied to all materials?
2: A lot of it comes down to how are we going to make a product that's going to be stable over the shelf life of what it needs to be. Um, And so we're picking excipients and things that we're adding to the API to bulk it up and also to create those characteristics like some of the morphologies that we really like are raisin shapes because they're fairly easy to make from a manufacturability perspective, but also in parts the same. There's some of those aerodynamic characteristics you can think of. Air going over a smooth surface is pretty easy. If you turn it into a raisin, it creates lots of nooks and crannies for the airflow to catch on the particle and then it flies better.
0: Yeah, but how do you make a particle shaped like a raisin?
2: That gets into some really technical detail, but it it really comes down to how do we drive the solubility of the different excipients of the system to cause the outside to dry first and then the inside collapse.
1: And this is within spray drying specifically. Ah. Specifically
2: for spray drying.
1: Wow. Yep. You can't make it with milling-based processes, which is another really common way to make dry powder inhalers. And then spray drying is kind of our specialty when we want to make these really tuned, specialized particles for kind of maximum performance.
0: If we look at the modalities uh, that can be put into an inhaler, are you limited to small molecules only or can you go a bit bigger to peptides or there are say proteins as well?
1: We can do all of that.
2: Kim, I think you've sprayed everything at this point.
1: (laughs) I have not personally sprayed everything on Earth, but uh, (laughs) we we have examples within all of those categories for certain. Um, And when I say that, then, yeah, that's within spray drying, because you can think of fairly delicate molecules like protein. They're not really compatible with the milling-based process. What I keep mentioning milling, that's so if if we need to get the right particle size for lung delivery, you actually start with particles that are too big and then use a jet mill to physically break those particles down to the right size. So that works for making DPIs. um, But for things that are sensitive, like proteins, spray drying is pretty much your only option to make a DPI. And uh, yeah, we have shown in a couple case studies that that does work pretty well. And there's a lot of challenges to the formulation and manufacturing process. But yeah, that is something cool that we can do from tiny molecules all the way up to uh, monoclonal antibodies.
0: Could you go as far as the combination of the best of both worlds and go to spray dry and antibody drug conjugate as well? I don't know that we've demonstrated an antibody drug
1: conjugate, but in principle, I think that is, that is feasible with the kinds of processes that
2: we do. We haven't done one recently as of yet, but um, we have done some where we did low shear blending of a conjugate, uh, you know, an adjuvant alongside something that was already spray dried as a protein and then created that ordered mixture to deliver both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, But from a formulation perspective, something that's definitely within the, the space of achievable within the same mixture.
0: Interesting. Okay, so we'll watch this space. Maybe in a few months from now, we will see also ADCs being sprayed, right? And used (laughs) in in inhalers. Cool. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of the patient, right? So as a kid, I had my own inhaler that I Mm -hmm. didn't use so often. That makes three of us then. Nice. I assume it's supposed to make the life of of a patient much easier, right? Because you then have Mm -hmm. the treatment in your pocket and whenever you need it, you can use it. But this was something for asthma, right? I wonder, is the thinking the same also for patients suffering from lung cancer? Would they still have the inhaler at home and use it on their own? Or would they still need some support from a medical professional?
2: Yeah, I still think they'd have to, they're going to have some support because it's not like asthma, where if you read the instructions, it's basically take doses till you feel better and you uh, alleviate symptoms. But there is a limit within the day versus a lung cancer medication is going to have a lot tighter window of efficacy versus toxicity. And mm-hmm. you, you want to have that control there. It could be administered at home, but it would have to be well monitored by a clinician. The things that I think of are of value um, from a patient perspective is going from something that's a transfusion where you're sitting there for three hours at a time, week on week versus I can inhale something in a second and then I can get to go home. Um, It's a huge quality of life difference of how you're going to manage your your disease and your lifestyle. Even if you think about asthma, when you go get albuterol from a, a nebulizer, you're sitting there for 45 minutes to an hour. And just like you did when you were a kid, it's Really easy just to inhale and mm-hmm. just one pop and you're you're ready to go versus sitting there for an hour at a time. And especially for that age range, getting a kid to sit there for 45 minutes. Yeah, is, no,
0: forget about it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Taking the punishment out of treatment, you know, for, yeah. for a little kid is really helpful for compliance. They don't understand that they have to sit there for an hour. It feels bad. So it's really cool to have those kinds of options.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the things that I thought was really interesting out of RDD this year was, you know, there's a lot of focus on um, the sustainability aspects and making medications green. The footprint and carbon footprint of a hospital and having to go there to address your disease swamps out any carbon footprint from a medication. So if you have someone who takes their medicine and is well controlled, it's far better than the impact they're going to have on the environment by having to go to the hospital.
1: I remember that talk, yeah, it was essentially, you know, a hundred inhalers wouldn't even make a dent compared to one hospital visit for someone who has a severe enough asthma attack when they're uncontrolled.
0: This is quite eye-opening, I've never thought about that. We've mentioned already asthma today and cancer. Is this manufacturing of products for inhalation limited to only these two indications or could we go beyond that?
2: Yeah, um, certainly can go beyond that. In in my career, I've worked on anti-infectives, antibiotics, cancer, COPD, pulmonary uh, hypertension, asthma. There's things like, uh, I I haven't worked on it, but there's on the market, um, inhaled insulin. So there's a number of different diseases out there that you can address from the inhaled route. And then there's the the space out there that we're starting to explore now where you don't think about it from the disease state of it. it needs to be in the lung, But what's the benefit of going directly to have a systemic delivery through the lung versus having to do it orally and dosing 10 times as much?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the lung can help act as a little bit of a a shortcut into systemic circulation when that's what you do want. So it, it circumvents that first pass through your liver. It has a ton of surface area inside. The lung has about the surface area of half a tennis court which is a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. <laughs> um, so with all that surface area and with all that fantastic blood flow that normally helps you exchange, you know, oxygen for carbon dioxide, you're able to really get stuff into systemic circulation rapidly when that's what you're interested in.
0: Football stadium. Did I say
1: football or did I say tennis?
0: I'm not sure. Tennis court, <laughs> maybe. Tennis okay. court, yeah. In yeah, any case, yeah. it's huge. Oh my gosh, yes. What also caught my interest is what uh, you, met said. You mentioned that you can also have local lung delivery of insulin, which is a relatively small protein. We've also talked about spray-drying antibodies. Mm-hmm. Is this something new or is this something that your team has been developing lately?
1: Inhaled insulin has been a commercial product. Exubera was the first one and now Afreza is on the market as well. So those have been on the market for a while. But, for example, there were some papers out there from Genentech and a few other co-workers in 1999 where they started working on spray-drying proteins. And we've just been trying to turn this into a platform so that we can bring this kind of technology and know-how to a broader audience so that we can apply it to inhalation more broadly. It's an exciting question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it, a lot of these things, well... Well, we're really excited to bring our contribution and help bring this to more clients and and more patients around the world. You know, this has always been a huge team effort through the literature.
0: Well, it certainly sounds exciting. Yeah. I imagine that local delivery of a treatment has many advantages as we've discussed already, but what about local toxicity? How can you avoid the local toxicity to the lung? I assume it's quite a sensitive organ.
2: Yeah, um, actually that's, Usually, the, one of the main problem statements we deal with um, when somebody brings us a project, we have a medication that we think is going to work, but we need to make sure we can deliver it to a patient. It gets into the lung, and it, it's there too long, and you end up with building up more and more of this medication in your lung, and so it's eventually, you, you start forming granulomas and, and different things, and your, your natural defense mechanisms in your lungs can't clear it. And it doesn't have the solubility to get across um, to be efficacious. So that's some of the formulation questions that we have to answer when we're developing a product and helping to turn it into a medicine.
0: How do you resolve these issues for customers, though?
2: And we do that through a number of different things. We do modeling to understand what the impact is going to be, Um, try to do that as early as possible so we can make sure that we're going to be successful Um, It leads into toxicology studies with animals to make sure that it's going to be safe before we dose it to people. And then something I've I've been interested in lately is mechanisms for active transport so that we can use the body's mechanisms to help deliver medication. I was looking at some literature around exosomes this week about ways that your body can help deliver the medication to cells instead of just relying on diffusion or um, other mechanisms to get the medication delivered
0: interesting that you mentioned the topic of exosomes. Our listeners may already be familiar with this modality, as we discussed it in two previous episodes. In the eighth episode of season one, we covered the basics of this modality and their value for patients. And in episode number six of the second season, we looked at their manufacturing. And I mean, it's exciting to see that exosomes can also be coupled with local lung delivery of small molecules or antibodies. The field is really progressing fast, huh?
2: It's a fun area to be in. I started my career in this because I had asthma and I thought it would be interesting, but it's just an area that's constantly growing and an area um, where I feel like we're learning something every day that we're working on these programs.
0: If we look at the pipeline of the products you are helping to develop and manufacture, are they still in preclinical testing, as you mentioned, in in even animal studies, or are some of them already in clinical testing or even commercialized?
2: We have programs that are waiting to launch for commercial. We've got programs that are in phase three, phase two. Obviously, you always have a large number that are in the preclinical and proven concept stage. But, you know, we've got a pipeline of programs that are working their way along, and they've all been very successful in showing their proof of concept. And then it's just working your way through the development cycles to get there.
0: And what's next for this area of research? Should we expect something exciting? I have a few
1: co- things that we're particularly excited about. We recently published a paper where we made an inhaled formulation using two different actives simultaneously. Uh, One was a biologic and one was a small molecule. So we exemplified this with lung cancer relevant compounds. So um, for example, if you had a powder that had a chemotherapy in one particle and then a biotherapeutic in another particle, but you can make it all at once and collect it into the same powder. Uh, So we called that Simul Spray, which is short for simultaneous spray drying. That was a a pretty interesting development that we're excited about. and Kind of looking in the future for the next few years, I'm really excited about the promise of uh, inhaled vaccines. So vaccines that are either delivered through inhalation through the nose or into the lung. I think those have a lot of promise for respiratory illnesses in the future.
2: I think it's going to be beyond that. You know, recently uh, there was approval of a COVID vaccine nasal delivery in China. Going through the pandemic has driven more discussion about how can we simplify the development and the supply chain and where can we deliver medications faster? You know, obviously going through that process for developing vaccines is a lot faster now with the RNA approaches. And those are also modalities and molecules that we can deliver through a dry powder technology or, or pulmonary or nasal delivery. So it's, it's an area that I, I think we will see an expansion.
0: Well, thank you both for your great insights. I certainly learned a lot about local pulmonary delivery.
2: I think we covered quite a lot of ground today. It's been a fun discussion. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to a view on manufacturing inhaled drug products with Kim Shepard and Matt Ferguson. I hope you enjoyed our discussion about chronic pulmonary diseases and their treatments with inhaled therapies. We will be back next month with another deep dive into the pharma manufacturing world, this time about manufacturing cell and gene therapies. If you cannot wait, head over to lonza.com forward slash a view dash on to listen to our previous episodes, subscribe to never miss an episode and access additional materials and interviewee info. Bye for now.